Well, hello, dealmakers. Great to have you here on the show. Did you know that this show that you're listening to right now is rated the number one apartment investing podcast on Feedspot.com? That's right. The one investing podcast that you must follow in 2021 on Feedspot. So we're very honored. And thank you so much for listening to the show and for reviewing us and anything that you're doing to support us. And hopefully we're supporting you in your journey to financial freedom as well. I was asked recently by one of our mentoring students, they hadn't had a deal yet. And, and our mentoring program is really designed to help people do their first deal in the first 12 months. In fact, we guarantee it uh, because if they don't do their first deal, then we continue working with them until they do. Well, this person's name, uh, let's call him David because that was his name, said, hey, my gosh, it's been 12 months. I'm really frustrated. And I got close a, little a few times. I don't have a deal yet. I said, well, let me ask you some questions. So I asked him some questions about what he was doing. Was he analyzing deals? Yes, he was analyzing two to three deals a week. Great. That's awesome. Were you meeting with investors? Oh, yes, there was meeting meeting with investors as well. Well, did you have you built your team? Do you have a proper manager on a team? Yes. What about a lender? We have that already. I said, you know, David, here's the thing. You are doing all the right things. You're doing all the activities that lead to your first deal. The only thing that you haven't done yet is let enough time go by. Do exactly what you're doing. Don't change a thing. Just stick with it. And he got back into the game. And two months later, he actually did his first deal as well. So the lesson here is you've got to stick with the activity. As long as you're committing to the activity that leads to the outcome, the outcome will come. And those activities really are twofold. One is analyzing deals and meeting with potential investors. That's it. Now, the problem with that activity, sometimes after like two or three months of doing this activity, you kind of get frustrated by the apparent lack of progress. Okay, but what you're not seeing is the actual progress you're being you're making because every time you speak to a broker, your confidence level goes up. Every time you tour a property, your comfort zone expands. Every time you talk to an investor, you get better at addressing objections more proactively, right? So you, what you have to do is you have to recognize the development that you're, that you're on and the journey that you're on and celebrate some of those small things. Number two is you have to kind of track your activity. Activity alone, while typically activity doesn't by itself lead to an outcome, in this particular case, activity is very important. Because the two activities I talked about, well, if you commit to doing that, you can't necessarily control the timing of that first deal, okay? You can't control it. Sometimes you have good luck, bad luck. Sometimes you get lucky tomorrow and a you know, property manager brings you a deal. And sometimes in case of David's case, it takes a little longer. What you need to do, what I recommend is that you commit to those activities and just stick with it because I will tell you, I haven't done a, an exhaustive scientific study on this, but I'm pretty sure anecdotally that people who commit to those activities, there's a 100% success rate. And it might be in month three or it might be in month 18. At the end of the day, it doesn't really matter because as soon as you do that first deal, the second or third basically come automatically in rapid succession due to the law of the first deal. So really got to focus on just doing that first deal. That is what counts. So my message to you guys is, is commit to the activity and just stick with it. That really is, when people ask me, what's the number one success factor in people who are successful? And it's consistency, sticking with it and committing to the activity. So today on the show, uh, we want to talk about, you know, breaking out of corporate America because, you know, when you have a great job, you know, nice house, great family, got a couple of nice cars in the driveway, it's very difficult to change your life because your life actually ain't so bad. So that idea, we have Jenny Gu and Steve on the show today, both have corporate backgrounds and they both describe how challenging it was to break out of those backgrounds, but they did. And we're going to talk a lot about partnering because in Jenny's case, 
she actually partnered with Steve, who was much more established. Uh, he was a, a, a corporate executive with with Mercer. And so he kind of built up a portfolio on the side. Today, he's got 2,500 units. So he was the senior operator. And so she talks about how she was able to partner with Steve. And Steve used an opportunity to find someone to help him scale his business. So we're going to talk a lot about, about partnering and how you can scale your business. And as a new person, how you can actually break into the game. So let's get right in the show with Jenny and Steve. Here we go. You're listening to the Apartment Building Investing Podcast, where we'll talk about all aspects of buying apartment buildings with a special focus on raising money from others. And now, your hosts, Michael Block. Jenny and Steve, welcome to the show today. Thanks. Hey, Michael. How are you? So you guys are our partnership. And so partnerships are fantastic. Sometimes they can be catastrophic. And uh, we're going to talk about partnering today. And I'm going to start first of all, just asking, how did you guys meet? Yeah, actually, I'll let Steve take that question. It's a funny story. <laughs> yeah, no, how we met. So I was presenting out at a local meetup. This was before COVID, I assume. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Before COVID. Before COVID. This was back in 2019 or so, yeah. right? So yeah, yeah. Uh, la- latter part of 2019. I was presenting out at a local meetup around uh, some of my story uh, in multifamily. Ronnie, Jenny's husband, approached me afterwards and and really, you know, you have a whole bunch of people connecting with you afterwards, right? And he, he connected with me and uh, went out and said, hey, can we have coffee the next day? And then we had coffee, we talked, and then can we have a happy hour the next time? And so I, I connected with him. One thing led to another, and it was kind of a little bit of a bait and switch, actually. I thought I was going to be working with Ronnie. Really, Ronnie courted me so much, and then uh, we had a lot of similarities. We both had a sales-type background and uh, in different industries, but there was a lot of connection from that standpoint. And he said, hey, why don't you uh, meet my wife? She is uh, looking to retire from her corporate job, and this would be a great fit. And uh, I don't know, Jenny, if you want to take the story from there... <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So I, I joke around. I say Ronnie pursued Steve more than he ever pursued me. So that was the start of that relationship. Um, but yeah, no, when I met Steve, it was just seemed like a really great fit, right? We had the same values, the same operating styles. And, um, you know, when I left corporate America, I wanted to just really immerse myself fully into the multifamily industry. So looking for a mentor who is willing to take me under their wing. And I found it through Steve. So really spent all of last year working with Steve on some of his properties and then ultimately partnering by the end of the year. All right. So what made Steve a good mentor, Jenny? Yeah, he and I have very similar backgrounds in the in the corporate industry of uh, working in corporate America. I think what was really appealing to me was obviously his track record. Right? He's been very successful in the real estate industry. And I wanted to make sure I followed somebody who could teach me their ways, right? Um, but at the same time, I really enjoyed uh, his style of teaching and coaching. Um, he was so willing to let me tack on any meeting he was having with property managers and um, willing to let me just jump right in um, and trusted me enough to add value to the work that he was doing. Um, so that combined with his background just made it a natural fit for us. Now, uh, Steve, there's a lot of people, syndicators or real estate investors who are very successful in their own right. And very few of them take on, I would say, mentees. And if they do, they're certainly not partnering with them. Why did you partner with Jenny? Yeah, no, I, I think it made a lot of sense. So at that time, Michael, I was uh, in my corporate role. So 
had a pretty um, high power, stressful corporate uh, role as an office leader for a large Fortune 100 organization. And so I uh, needed somebody actually to help support uh, some of the business that I was doing on the multifamily side. So in, in addition to my corporate career, I had such a passion for real estate. So built really a side business around uh, single family homes that moved into multifamily and needed someone to help with the operations. Pretty good at assessing people, have really good in- intuition on the capabilities that people have and saw that immediately in Ronnie and then Jenny is especially, and that match really made a, a lot of work. So she really took care of all the operations on a couple of my properties all through COVID, right? Which was awesome. Define operations. What do you guys, what do you mean by operations? Operations is everything from uh, the day-to-day asset management that we have to do with uh, the multifamily properties that we have. So I put her in charge of all of the weekly meetings that we had. So I'd be part of those weekly meetings, but due to an extremely full corporate schedule, uh, she would organize those. We had uh, our weekly touch bases. She would be in charge of all of the spreadsheets and then also doing the monthly reviews. So we do monthly reviews on the properties just to ensure the expenses and the, the revenue is appropriate. And she would, uh, lead all that. I would take a look at it and she started to lead all those meetings. So I think it was just a great partnership while I was working my corporate job prior to me retiring. Jenny, why did that appeal to you? Is there something about the management of the operations that maybe you're strong, you like to do at, or is that something you're going to do for a season or why, why did you, why, why was that a good idea for you? Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, it is, I learn by doing Honestly, and I think jumping into multifamily. So my background, my husband and I had invested in single family. So we 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 know that like the back of our hand. Jumping into multifamily, I wanted to just learn quickly to accelerate our growth. And what better way than to actually doing the work yourself? And so um, you know, I was when I was talking to Steve before we actually worked together. I said, gosh, you know, I want to essentially be an intern for somebody who is gonna hire me to be there. I'll work for free. And he said, well, wait a second. Why don't you do that for me? Um, I'll let you do everything in terms of operations. And I said, great. I have a strong background in you know leading teams and managing projects. That'll fit quite nicely. And so that's what we did. And then, you know, I spent all of last year underwriting deals and, and vetting them with Steve. So that was a, a very useful experience for me to get his background on what he looks for, what he doesn't like on a property, why should something work, why it shouldn't work, et cetera. So that's interesting. Robert Kiyosaki talks about working for free in his book, uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And I, yeah. I always, when I first read it, I was like, what? That's crazy right there. Now, don't you think you're you're just giving yourself a demotion by doing what you're doing? I mean, how do you feel about that from a career perspective? Well, that's a, that's the a great thing about investing. So I was very fortunate enough to retire even before purchasing a multifamily unit and, and just rely on my husband's income because I w- we were able to generate enough passive income from the single family side. And so I don't quite think of it as a demotion. I think of it as a, an amazing opportunity to learn quickly and jump right in because at the same time, you know, while you're learning, you're developing new skill sets in this industry that's just going to, you know, 10x and, and, and explode, you know, over the next year. And that's what we've done, you know, by the end of the year, 2020, you know, Steve and I started a new company and we're blowing past our goals right now with just, you know, three months into the calendar year. What, what were some of your goals that you're blowing past right now? Yeah, yeah. So we wanted to, you know, our vision, uh, you know, we started a new company. Our vision is to really help others 
find their financial freedom through passive investing. So very similar to a lot of folks out there today. Um, and we really do care about what we do and we love it. And our goal to get there was for year one to acquire $25 million on assets under our belt. And um, we've closed on one deal already last, I guess, two weeks ago. And we're about to put another deal under contract, hopefully within the next week. So moving along quite nicely. That's fantastic. So, so Steve, we talked about how, how Jenny is kind of focused on operations, but then she also said she was underwriting deals. How are you separating your roles in the company? Yeah, no, that's a great question. So my skill set, just a little bit of background about myself, right? So I, I started as an underwriter on the healthcare side. So underwriting and financials came every, very easy to me. And then... Um, quickly realized that in order to monetize yourself uh, in the corporate world, you do need to get into some type of business development or sales role. And so quickly moved into a sales role and was really successful in it because I had a technical background, right? And so that led me into relationship building. So that's one of the key things. Um, I, I spend a lot of my time kind of building the vision as well as building relationships with our key stakeholders, everybody from the brokers, right? So everything I did on my corporate job, it really on the insurance side correlates side by side uh, with what we do right here on the real estate side. So really focused on that piece. And then Jenny's strengths really on the operations and the asset management uh, side. Then we also did hire an individual that just retired. Uh, he's a rocket scientist. So uh, Randy is very accurate about everything that he does. And so having somebody like that on the team is um, is a huge asset for us. So really trying to break it up in, into different components and then really trying to grow the business as well. I mean, you always say it, it's a team sport and you need multiple different individuals to try to help us get to the next stage. And that's the nice thing. Single family, you can do it by yourself. Multifamily, you have to have a team of people doing that. And we have a great team of uh, complementary skill sets there. Yeah. So it sounds like you have some ideas how to scale the, the, the company. If Jenny would doing some operations, I don't know what Randy's going to be doing, but how do you, what individuals do you feel you need to bring on? What roles and in what sequence perhaps? Yeah, no, that's a great question. Great question. So one of the, the, the key things is I mentioned relationship building. So having somebody with a strong uh, business development or sales background to constantly be out in the marketplace. I think right now, both Jenny and I coming from a sales background do that extremely well. I think that that's crucial. I would say anybody can be taught. This is my belief, uh, the underwriting side. It's, it's really basic arithmetic. It's not that difficult. So the science of underwriting is actually pretty uh, easy from our standpoint. It's the art that you have to put into it, right? So what are the things that we need to do to kind of make some of those tweaks to make our business plan a little bit different than everybody else's in order to drive the results that we need to drive? So, um, you know, Laird and a, a great business development person is there. We have a really extensive network too. So driving capital is, is super important. And then lastly is administrative. So I, I think our next point is either hiring a, a virtual assistant or an administrative assistant to help out with a lot of the little things. Right now, Randy is actually helping us out in the, that capacity. Uh, but I think a true a virtual assistant uh, or personal assistant is, is very crucial to help growing the business. So which one of you then are bringing in deals? Are you splitting that role or because you said you both have a sales background. So are both of you guys talking to brokers? Uh, if so, then how are you splitting that up? 
Yeah. From from my standpoint, I, I am focused on um, connecting with brokers constantly. So, and uh, whether that be the loan broker, the property manager, and and really the front of the organization in terms of that, just the relationship side of the business. And so, I'm really focused on that. Jenny also at the same time is calling brokers directly, and um, that's how we secured a couple of our deals just because of Jenny making some of those phone calls. And then collectively, Jenny and I meet daily, uh, more than daily, almost every minute it, it appears, right? As you're growing a business and then uh, really allocating appropriately. So we're not stepping on each other's toes. So really, if if uh, I need to call CBRE, I will call CBRE, she'll call ABI, right? And so we kind of break out the d- duties from that perspective. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, you know, just like any other startup or new company, everyone's kind of jack of all trades at the beginning. And so that's kind of where we, we've been moving around for the first couple months, where I naturally see our strengths apply would be, you know, Steve eventually will essentially own acquisitions, right? He's done multifamily a lot longer than I have. He's built the relationships and the connections. So it makes sense for him to kind of take on acquisitions. You know, I'm great at execution of, of business plans and, and, you know, crossing the finish line. So running the property, developing the business plan, the operations makes a lot of sense for me. Randy will probably take on a lot more of the underwriting. He's a rocket scientist. So if he's if he can launch a rocket, he can launch an apartment is what I say. And then eventually, you know, we will need somebody to manage investors. So helping us, you know, meet with investors, getting them in our database, making sure we understand their goals. Um, we'll have somebody manage, you know, investor relations, so to speak, moving forward. That's exactly, that's exactly right. Now, now, Steve, why did you decide the timing was right for you to partner with someone? Because you've been doing this for, for a little while. Why back then when you started, when you partnered with Jenny? Yeah, no, I, I think a lot of it had, had to do, uh, so uh, one is the support of my family, right? So I've always wanted to grow my corporate career and I did successfully. I could have stayed in corporate America for another 15, 20 more years, but I think one of the key things is goal setting, right? So me as a family sat down and said, what do I want? Do I want to trade some of my time for a lot of the benefits that you do receive in corporate America? Or do I want to be able to spend a lot more of my future time that I have here, which is all limited. Our time here on earth is is very limited. And so uh, do I want to spend that time with uh, the family as my girls are, are, are getting a little bit older, right? And so we made that decision. We kind of plotted it down on paper. We had a countdown of when I was going to exit the corporate uh, rat race. And in doing that, I had a plan of building a real estate portfolio that had passive income to to uh, help substantiate that exit of corporate America, which successfully, you know, in COVID actually helped, uh, I guess, propel it a little bit more because it gave me the opportunity to work from home as opposed to commuting in from Orange County all the way to Glendale or uh, all the way to uh, downtown LA, which is quite a commute in the morning. So that was kind of my my career life and in, in kind of exiting out of that helped us uh, do that. So I'd say the family really helped me solidify that this is what we wanted to do. And then building enough passive income to help support that. Let's talk about the, the timing of quitting the job because this is a very personal decision and I've seen people burn the boats completely. Like they got six months of savings and they quit, you know, which I respect, but maybe not necessarily recommend. And then there's other people who hold, who hold on a year or two beyond they're easily covering their living expenses with a passive income. And so Jenny, talk about why you decided to kind of be, you know, more of the burn of the boats kind of mindset. Why did you feel that was the right time to quit your job? Yeah, that's, uh, you know, it's different for a lot of people. But for me, similar to Steve, right, you kind of, we sat down and said, what are our priorities? 
and how do we want to spend our time, you know, with our family? And we moved back to California from Cincinnati just due to being wanting to be closer to the kids' grandparents and my my in-laws. We said, you know what, this job we have in the, the rat race, we're just traveling too much. And we, you know, we're not spending the right amount of time that we want and we're not dictating our schedule as much as we want to. And, and so how do we get out of that? So like many other folks, we said, we want to invest in real estate to get passive income. And so, as I mentioned earlier, we had built a portfolio of single family and it's doing really well. And we said, gosh, we could grow this so much faster if one of us was dedicated to the business. We decided that I would leave PNG, have more flexibility and time with the kids. We have two young ones and we would pursue this multifamily gig. So I kind of did a reverse. I left the corporate world, burned the boats and bridges before purchasing even a single multifamily unit. And then within 10 months, we went from zero to over 800 units. So that surpassed our goal more than what we thought we could do, especially during a year of COVID. So that was really um, exciting for us to go accomplish. And that was clearly a, probably a function of you being full-time, right? I mean, it, had you not been full-time, it either wouldn't happen at all or it would have been much slower, right? So is that right? I mean, full-time really accelerated your plans. Absolutely. I think you could just need to make the decision. So you know, our goal, even before I, I left my job, we said we want to purchase at least one deal and be a GP or sponsor by the end of this year. And because um, I had more capacity to do this, I said, you know what, forget that. Let's let's see what we can go do. And then the sky was really the limit. So absolutely, the full-time app for sure helped. Um, but I think first and foremost, you have to have the mindset and the, the take action mentality to even get it started. Well, you do, but you do have to need to have a financial runway. In your case, your, your husband was still working. Um, and and if, if the other spouse was not you know, earning enough money, you'd have to have uh, savings for a certain period of time. I mean, there's this reality of, of finances you can't just ignore and go, I'm quitting and uh, we'll see what happens with my groceries this month. So you guys had a, had a plan, but it sounds like uh, both your, you and your, your husband sat down and talked about this and it was a joint decision. It sounds like, Steve, that's what you guys did as well. I'm curious to see why did you decide to maybe wait a little longer? Why was the timing right for you and your family when you decided to retire? Yeah. You know, you know corporate America has been excellent to me. I can't thank uh, uh, the corporate for everything they have done, um, utilizing all the skill sets that I have today, right? And so, like Jenny actually mentioned, it's, it, it was the travel. There, there's a lot that corporate America takes from you as well. And so, at, at some point, I've always wanted to be that entrepreneur as well. So I have a lot of friends that have been entrepreneurs and I've always admired them. And fortunately in corporate America, I had a sales job that really allowed me a little bit of both, you know? So that's why I stayed on for quite some time. It allowed me the opportunity to go out and meet individuals and sell them our product solutions. At the same time, it was on the company dollar, right? So it was just in that environment. And with any type of business development or sales role, the sky is kind of the limit, especially in corporate America. And so just been able to take advantage of that and then be prudent about what I did as an individual in terms of saving and investing, right? And so I think the best thing happened was 10 years ago when I met with my accountant and I had a great W-2 income from my standpoint and needed some tax breaks around that and found that um, there was some opportunities that we could take advantage of that, that allowed us to offset some of that income. And then that kind of grew and I educa- you know, self-educated myself and listened to a bunch of uh, podcasts at the time uh, as I was uh, commuting to and from work. And one thing led to another and said, this is what I'm going to do. A couple of my syndications, I, I met a couple of great partners and they're like, Steve, 
you have the kind of the uh, timber to make this happen. And so uh, they said, let's do a countdown. And so it actually scared me. They said, Steve, we're going to do a countdown. It's going to happen by this date. And that was uh, supposed to be February of 2021, right? That, but it ended up being a little bit earlier, which was uh, very beneficial on my side. So I was fortunate enough to have some of the resources to actually do that, if that, if that helps, Michael. Yeah, no, I mean, accountability is, is just fantastic. I, one of the things I find, though, is it sounds like you had a pretty good situation going on. You had a well-paying job. You had some flexibility because you're in sales, yep. you know. You know, why did you continue moving forward, right? Because a lot of people, they get sucked in by the status quo in their, in their comfort zone. And it's a very strong force that mm-hmm. keeps people in place. I think sometimes being in a relatively comfortable place is actually holds us back in some, some ways. How were you able to kind of break free from that? Because you're, you're messing with almost perfection, right? From the outside looking in. Steve, he's kind of crazy. He had a good thing going. And now he's, you know, he's taking on a bunch of risk. And, you know, so why did you feel that it was a better way to, to rock the boat and eventually get out of your job versus, and there's nothing wrong with this, staying with your job and just making more money and maybe working on your, you know, work hours, your flexibility a bit more. Why did you decide that longer term that was not for you? Yeah. Well, well, I think uh, like Jenny mentioned also, it's about mindset, right? So one of the things you, you mentioned, Robert Kiyosaki as well, that was the first book I, that got me into this it was Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Yeah. And then the cash flow quadrant, right? So I, when I look at the cash flow quadrant, I wanted to be on the right side of that quadrant, be an investor and be a business owner. And you see the tax advantages that do come into play around that. I don't have to make that same income. The income that I made, I, I'm taxed at the 50% mark living here in, in Southern California, right? So that makes it very challenging from that standpoint. Here, you know, it, it, and you have to lay all this out. I don't have to have that same type of dollar coming in when you take a look at the tax benefits that we take advantage of as entrepreneurs and as business owners. So always had that yearning to do that. And yeah, a lot of people say, well, that, well, actually they think it's really neat. I have a whole bunch of people calling me right now and asking me, how did you do that? And then I just tell the story that we're telling right here. It's actually very basic. You, you, you have to take action, number one, right? So, and there's so many resources. There's, there's your podcast, which I listen to on my daily run, right? Everything, you, if you listen to all those, there's so many different resources today to actually help people get to that next stage. And more people than you think are yearning to do that. They just don't have a pathway to do it. I fortunately had a lot of good mentors and teachers and a lot of guidance and I'm a person that wants to take action as well. So maybe it's in my DNA too. So I've always wanted to be that entrepreneur and it kind of led me into that. And the nice thing about it is the passive income that this does create. You know, I'm in quite a few different passive uh, environments. So I self-educated myself to get there. I don't know if that answered your question, Michael. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And and you know, we speak about Robert Kiyosaki. One of these things he talks about is he 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 start, he worked for Xerox Corporation for a period of years to specifically acquire sales skills. And both of you mentioned that you had sales background. Now, I'm curious, Jenny, why do you feel, or maybe you don't feel, but how important is that sales background to what you're doing now? Is it re- very relevant, or is it not really relevant, or maybe not even important at all? It's made the transition to real estate completely seamless. And so, um, you know, I'll kind of steal an acronym that we used at Procter & Gamble. It's called the PI model. And I think this is what differentiates, you know, our team with others out there. It's PI, right? So the P stands for partnerships. We develop strong relationships with our vendors, our uh, brokers, lenders, property managers, everybody, because they're an essential part of the team. 
uh, we invest in our investors, which is the I part of the pie model. So we don't treat our investors as just a number. Um, they are part of the team. They are the critical members that get us across the finish line. And they know at any given time, they can pick up the phone and call one of us and, and be able to ask questions. So that's, that's important. But really, I want to highlight the E part of the pie model, which is experience. And so if you look at our backgrounds, both Steve and I, between the two of us, like at PNG, you know, I set sales strategies for some of our billion-dollar brands. I managed multi-million-dollar P&L sheets, and I led cross-functional teams, you know, throughout my years there. And Steve's managed huge teams at MetLife and Mercer across the entire West Coast. So that experience of managing a business, running a business, lends itself so well to real estate because you're doing the same thing. You're managing a multifunctional team between the brokers, the property managers, the investors, and you're running a P&L with your budget for CapEx and remodels, right? And so all of that combined, I think, is what has given us such a head start. Our team is relatively new, but our experience has spanned you know, decades. Exactly right. Yeah, you can always, even though you think it's not directly related to real estate, somehow it mm -hmm. is and it plays into your strength. Steve, what are your thoughts on having a sales background? How important is it? And if someone doesn't have a sales background, is that something that someone should try to acquire or is it, is it not really necessary? Yeah. You know, I, I think it's a key component in uh, sourcing opportunities and deals out there. I think, like I said before, you everybody can learn the financial side. So you have a lot of technical people in this business, right? But uh, you see some of the most successful ones know how to build those relationships. And that's something sales really does. It's it's beyond networking. It's building a, a true you know one-on-one -on -one relationship with individuals to give them the comfort level that they want to work with you, right? So people like to work with people that they know, like, and trust, right? And so you know, I started, you know, from a financial standpoint and uh, moved into sales. So it can definitely be learned. And um, I think you have to seek some of, uh, there's a lot of different programs out there and I would highly recommend them because that kind of gives the competitive edge that uh, both Jenny and I have and have acquired. I mean, deep down, my true personality is an introvert. And so that has morphed over time into becoming much more of an extrovert in terms of dealing with people. I mean, and that's why the brokers like to do business with us. I mean, I've done four deals with the same broker, right? And they, they just keep giving me one after another, after another, after another, because they felt comfortable. I mean, a perfect example, and I share these with the people all the time. I go in there and I bring them breakfast, right? So it's okay for us to pay for the broker. We don't have to expect the broker to pay for us all the time. And doing something slightly different like that and having some of those softer skills make them feel comfortable in wanting to work with you as well. I think uh, the more I'm observing people who are successful, I think having sales experience, I'm, I'm not going to say sales background, but some kind of sales experience is is literally priceless. And I do see some of the more technical people, of which I was one, struggle a little bit because of that. For example, as a salesperson, you know that it's a numbers game, right? It's all about hitting the phones, making certain calls, getting comfortable with rejection, tracking your activity in some kind of CRM, becoming very systematic about cultivating a relationship with people. And that is exactly what happens with brokers and investors. That is exactly what happens. So people who have that background, they understand that. They understand it's a numbers game. They understand it's a relationship game. And so if, if someone does not have that background, 
and I learned it too. I mean, I have a software background, but at the company I was at, I wanted to experience marketing and sales. And so for the last year I was there, I was actually in sales and it was the hardest job I've ever done. And I got to say, I, I, I wasn't very good at it, but I learned a lot, right? I learned how to cold call people, get past gatekeepers, overcome objections and that kind of stuff. And that has served me very, very well. Now, am I an expert at sales? No, there's people who are better at it, but that background set me up for a lot of other things that I've done. So, you know, and like you said, there are, you know, you, there's books you can read, there's podcasts you can listen to, there's courses you can do that actually teach you selling. I think some people are more intuitive and natural than others, but I think anyone can learn uh, selling as well. Now, the question I have for both of you is you guys have been very successful in your careers, but the criticism is, my gosh, what took you so long to take action and get into real estate? You know, so the question is, what would you tell your younger self? And at what point in your life would you tell yourself that? Jen, you want to take that first? Sure. Yeah, that's I, I say this all the time. And this is why, you know, one of the reasons we do what we do now is to help educate others on finding financial freedom. I always tell people, I wish somebody taught me this 10 years ago, if not more, <laughs> the beginning of my college career so I could start planning for it because it's so beneficial. Why did I take so long? Gosh, it's because I didn't know what I didn't know. So I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, I think in college. So uh, quite a few years ago, but nothing clicked. You know, when you're mm -hmm. 18, 19, that doesn't make sense. You're just wanting to go hang out with your friends. But then, you know, four or five years ago, I read it again and I just something clicked. Then I started to take action. So if I could help people do that now and accelerate their learning and their path to financial freedom, that is what makes this so much fun to do. So, Yeah. How about you, Steve? It looks like you were a really slow learner. Yeah, I was. I took a long <laughs> time. But uh, no, it, it's really my background, right? So I think my my parents, education was a big thing and then getting a good job. So all the things you yeah. hear in uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, right? Do a good job, invest in your 401k and do all those things, which I did. And I didn't know anything else about real estate. My family never invested in real estate. So I never really knew anything about it. All I heard was you don't want to invest in real estate because it is too much work, right? And you're going to be waking up and you have to be a landlord, right? And so and maybe in that generation, you did, it was a lot more work. But what I found as I transitioned to initially to all turnkey out of state uh, single family homes, it wasn't that much work, right? We just had to manage the manager. And then as you graduate upwards, uh, you know, manage the multifamily, uh, manage the property manager that manages the, the apartment asset, right? And, and it, it really isn't that difficult if you, if you keep those in task. And, and so I, I, I just don't think I knew what I know today. But, you know, I just had a call with a, an investor. They said, what should I do today, Steve? Should I go the corporate path or should I stay in this path? I asked them a little about their, their financial background, et cetera. And I said, with where you're at today, I would actually roll the dice and go for it because you do have enough there. Because what we think is it's never enough, right? To actually exit. But to come to find out if you have the drive, you do have to have the drive though too, right? You have to have the, the drive and the will uh, and, and the competitive spirit that I do have to get to that next stage. And failure is not going to be an option, right? Hopefully that helped out a little bit in terms of... Uh, did I answer your question there, Michael? <laughs> yeah, I mean, no, actually, you know, I'd like to, I, what would you tell yourself and when? Because I, I know that you're, we're all on a journey yeah. and we all discover things and my gosh, you know, we always say, what had I known now, would I know that? But, but what would you tell yourself and how old were would you be yeah, and what would you yeah, tell yourself to you, do? You know, so 
initially, well, there's two things. So I took a path of going into sales, right? So taking that path going into sales, that was very lucrative, right? And, and so that allowed me to build a base to make me feel comfortable. But you could stay in that corporate sales role forever and a day too. And you see that all the time. People just continue to do that. And the money they make equate, uh, they, they really make more money, but they'd have less money because they start spending it on other things and not investing in, in vehicles like real estate, right? So the cars, the watches, and all the things that, the material things that people want. I probably did a little bit less of that than others. And so uh, was able to build that base. So would I change it for my, my role? Probably not. But if I was just going to be staying maybe as an underwriter and I never moved into that sales role, the upside would not have been as great. And I may have moved over to real estate sooner, right? So if you have a, a, a sales job, there's a lot of flexibility in that. My philosophy is do your job well, great things will happen. And that's what I've, I've just tried to follow throughout my career. But for me, it was harder to exit because I had really good income coming about. But then as you grow and mature, the maturity, you, you need more time because, you know, I'm basically in the second half of my life now, right? So if you had to do it in quarters or in the second quarter or second, uh, second half, right? And so at this point, it's more about myself and my family and less about trying to impress others, right? So I think in hindsight, Michael, I probably would have told my 21-year-old self, instead of buying that first house, that first townhouse, I would probably house hack, yeah. you know, get into the real estate business that way and not have to pay a mortgage and live for free. That's what I tell all my younger cousins today. Guys, don't don't worry about buying your house for yourself. Find a way to get into real estate. House hacking's the way. Yeah. Or, get, or an entry get that point. duplex or whatever. There's so many people have got started that way. I, I love that strategy as well. Uh, so how can people connect with you guys? Sure. Yeah. Uh, feel free. We're both on LinkedIn and Facebook, but you can also learn more about us and our company at our website, which is verticalstreetventures.com. Verticalstreetventures.com. Awesome. This has been great, guys. Thank you for sharing your experience, your stories, and all your wisdom. Thanks for being on the show. Thanks, Thanks for, for having us. us. Michael, appreciate it. Take care. All right, it's never too late to keep break out of corporate America. Here's the thing. I mean, it really isn't. However, it is a very strong, powerful force that keeps you where you are in that comfort zone. You're making great money. You have a nice house, you know, and it, sometimes it's very difficult to break out. And both Jenny and Steve show that you can still do it. But you do need a kind of a driving force behind it. And one of the things that you saw was both uh, their families were very supportive and they realized that they didn't want to be on that trajectory for the next 10, 15, 20 years. They wanted something else. They wanted more flexibility and wanted financial independence. And so getting your family involved is actually super important. The other key takeaway is getting some sales skills. And I didn't have sales skills growing up. I wasn't a sales guy. I was a software guy, but I acquired them by literally taking a class and reading some books. I probably read like five sales books. And because I wanted to try sales, and like I said on the show, it was the hardest thing I've ever done, but I learned an awful lot. So if you don't have a sales background, I really think it's worth your while to acquire some sales skills 
It will serve you very well in your real estate investing career. The other thing is partnership. And, you know, like Steve said, single family is kind of a, you know, it's just you doing a bunch of stuff. But multifamily, it's very unusual. There's only one person. And you can only get your company to a certain size with one person. Uh, but really, you need to bring in partners. And the, what I love about the way Steve and Jenny have done it, which works really well, is everybody's very clear about their strengths. And because they've been working for a while, they kind of know what they're really good at and what they love to do. And that's what they bring into their partnerships. And when you're partnering with someone, really be clear what you love to do and what your strengths are and what your partner's strengths are. But they should not overlap that much. The partnerships that work very well is when the roles and responsibility are clearly defined. For example, one person is responsible for deal flow. They're calling the brokers analyzing deals, right? Maybe they're a little bit more analytical. Uh, and then the other person is more the relationship person and maybe they're raising capital, right? So finding deals, raising capital is, is, is a delineation and then the operations, like Jenny is doing, is another one. Right? It takes a particular person who enjoys managing and optimizing and things of that nature. And then the fourth one is going to be marketing. So when your company gets bigger enough, uh, you're going to want to start marketing yourself to attract more investors. And that's when we get into the platform building realm. If you're interested in that, check out platformbuilders.com. We have some resources there to help you scale your business on the marketing side as well. So partnering and joint venturing is actually key to growing your multifamily business. And what I love about it is that you can do the things that you love to do and are good at, and you don't have to necessarily overcome your weaknesses. You partner with some. And, and on good partnerships, you know, one plus one is greater than two. And that's really the, and it's, it's, it's more fun that way, right? I mean, if it's just you flipping houses all your, on your own, like what kind of fun is that? I think it's much, much more fun to have a partner. Don't you think? Right. So yeah, speaking of, if you want to partner with us at Nighthawk Equity, if you're interested in investing and in passing investing in these multifamily syndications, we'd love to have a conversation with you. Head over to nighthawkequity.com, click the join button, fill out a short form and schedule a call with us. We'd love to have a conversation with you about some of our upcoming opportunities. So anyway, go out there, make it happen, partner. Thanks so much catch you guys next time thanks for listening to the apartment building investing podcast with michael block for more free podcasts articles and videos go to the there you can also download the free ebook the secret to raising money to buy your first apartment building till next time